Welcome back to the Free From Wall Street podcast. This is Stephen Libman. I have a special uh, replay. Take a listen. Let me know what you think. And don't forget to go to integrityhg.com. Sign up for the Investor Club so you can see all the deals that we have in our pipeline and what we have done in the past. Welcome to the Free From Wall Street podcast, where we share how we have done over $200 million in real estate deals to create preserve, and pass on generational wealth without the roller coaster ride of the stock market. If you're ready to start investing with purpose, visit freefromwallstreet.com. But for now, let's dive into this episode. All right, Steve, welcome to the show, man. Good to have you here. Thanks, Blake. Appreciate you having me on. Excited to chat about generational wealth, passive income, multifamily. I love this stuff. Yeah, man. I love it. It's a, it's a beautiful Saturday morning to be talking about passive income. It always is. That's right. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, for those that don't know you, why don't you give, start out by giving people a little bit about your journey and you know how you got into real estate? Yeah, I graduated from Boston University in 2004. I started working in Manhattan doing uh, basically door-to-door sales for a payroll and tax filing company. Realized pretty quickly I wanted to work for myself. Didn't want to commute into New York. I live on the Jersey Shore right now. So commuting into Manhattan. Uh, is Snooky your neighbor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, let's delete this part of the show. No, so actually, <laughs> starting strong. Starting strong. <laughs> that is where Jersey I live. Shore I live guy. over the bridge from where the Jersey Shore was uh, was filmed. And pre Jersey Shore, it was actually a great place. But now it's a beautiful area. You know, we love it. Commuting into the city took a lot of time. So learned. You know, always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur of some former fashion. Then I got my real estate license and started working for uh, some family doing the retail residential stuff. I did that for a couple of years. I found some off-market deal flow and some on-market deal flow for some investors in the area that were flipping and saw that they were making money and I was making commissions. So decided to start an investment firm with my partner, Travis. And uh, we started wholesaling and then started flipping. We built our company to do about 150 transactions a year at the peak and uh, realized a couple things. One was it's not passive. It's very transactional. It's a great high paying job, but that's exactly what it is. It's a job and it's very highly taxed. So everything is taxed in the flip world as uh, ordinary income rates. So we started looking into how we could turn some of this active income into passive income. We want to get into that investor bucket. How do we move our active income into there. So we started looking into some different ways to do that. We didn't know exactly, right? We started to just educate ourselves in, the, in that space and looked at some duplexes, triplexes, quads, thought maybe we'll buy a hundred single families because we we're buying those things for pretty cheap. you know. And then just realized that the more people we spoke to that were in the space told us to really make sure that we went big up front. And it sounds a little counterintuitive to have your first deal be a large commercial project or a syndication where you're pulling money together with other people. But the economies of scale really make those deals make sense, right? That's why we're all looking for those 100, 150 unit deals. And there was a lot of management that went along with duplexes, triplexes, and quads. Very difficult to manage, right? You have one management company trying to deal with 100 different floors. Um, yeah, different properties scattered. All over the place, right? So they're charging you 7, 8, 9, 10% versus 4%. Yeah. You know, so everybody that we spoke to, you know, we started getting around mentors. I mean, that's how we've grown every piece of this. Wholesales, flips, commercial was get around people that are doing it that are smarter than me and tell me how they did it. And every single one of them said that the biggest headache was the 30 unit that they brought bought first. And the yeah. least problematic was the 250 unit that they just bought. Yeah. And that came so, from just getting around, getting around the, the right kind of people. And I think if like, 
if we just stopped right there and that's all people heard, like that would be enough for them today to take to take action and get something from this episode. If you just get around the right people, find who are, are doing what you want to do and they're doing it well, and just ask them, you know, talk to them. Those are the people you need to be around. That's that's really good. I think the problem with being an entrepreneur is that you want to do everything yourself. Yeah, and it's like almost too prideful sometimes. I've, I've been there for sure. 100%. And you, you feel like you're on an island. You don't know that other people are doing this and you think you have to be smart to figure this stuff out when actually you have to be humble, right? You have to read the books, recognize what you don't know, ask the questions about what you don't know. And then when you learn those things, all of a sudden, you know, it's like you can't close the door once it's been open. Once it's been open, you're like, oh, of course, the light bulb goes off and this is how you, you know, create wealth. This is how you buy a multifamily. This is how you start a life insurance policy. Whatever it is that you're doing, get around the people that are doing it and have been doing it better than you have and ask them some questions. Yeah, that's really good. And I think what I've done in large part, I, I read this in a book early on. It's like, you don't have to to do anything completely novel, like just model what works for others and do it really well. And I, some people say that like, oh, you're copying them. But no, it's just modeling their business and doing it your way. Like people have syndicated real estate for <laughs> how long? Probably since real estate's existed. And yeah, I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, right? So yeah. when you start to think about you know copying somebody's model or the smartest people I know do that. Right. I mean, why yep. wouldn't you do that? Yep. If you try to go a new way about it or invent a new, you know, form or fashion, I mean, not to take anything away from the inventors of the world, but especially when it comes to real estate, you're you're not coming up with a new process or a new system of how to do real estate. Real estate is yep. about acquisitions and management. And that's why I love it, because it's 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 proven. It's it's scalable. It's replicable. replicable. Yeah. That's a that's a really yeah. good word for it. Yeah, that's good. So, I mean, for for you starting out, getting from Wall Street off into Main Street, why was why was real estate so attractive? Like, why is that your your asset of choice? I think for a lot of reasons that we all are drawn to real estate. It's generally we understand it, right? I understand that even my house is going to be valued at kind of what the neighborhood house is. It's less volatile, right? Historically, over the last sixty years, it has been consistently less volatile. I think it has a quarter of the downturns as the market does on average, and it has higher consistent returns. So that's why I liked real estate at first, and I, I can touch it and feel it, right? I mean, it's nice to log into your Fidelity account and see numbers moving on a page, but in a mutual fund, you're invested in hundreds of companies. How much do you know about the people in that company? How much do you know about what's happening in that company? And that's why we started the podcast Free From Wall Street as well. Is like people that are looking to escape volatility and get into something that they understand. I think real estate is easily digestible for the common person. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to, to get into that. Like the the idea behind your podcast is free from Wall Street and you started there and you, you've seen the, you've made the transition and now you're helping others. And I think we we're talking before the show was like 17 trillion or I don't know how many trillions that's invested in Wall Street and mutual funds making what you're saying, like 4.5% over the last- yeah, I mean, the Morningstar- average, right? And you can look this up on Morningstar's website and they they kind of track all performance of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Over the last 30 years, it's been four and a half percent via mutual fund, which on its face is not terrible, right? What's not calculated in that four and a half percent is the volatility of that, right? Like I think uh, when people understand that if you lose 20% of your portfolio and you had a hundred bucks, now you have 80, but to get back to even, you don't make 20% and get back to even, right? You have to make 25% to get back to even. Yep. So there's a volatility distinction there that isn't talked about very much. And you know, you have to you have to calculate that into your returns. 
So yeah, I mean, when you look at these mutual funds and stocks and bonds and things, you can crush it, right? But you can also get killed. And that's that's where our company's ethos was kind of born from. My dad passed away seven years ago. He lost almost half of his accumulated wealth in the stock market during the last downturn. But then he didn't live long enough to ride the market back up like so many of us have been fortunate to do. It kind of made me start thinking about, okay, so volatility is a real thing. You can lose the money that you make, even if you're trying to secure it in relatively safe stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. You know, I mean, my dad wasn't a risky guy, so he was in mostly blue chips and mutual funds and things like that that should have been pretty stable. And then when you lose, when you see that kind of a dip and you can't write it back up, you start thinking, how can I insulate my family from that same destructive behavior? And that's why we start looking at real estate as well. And that's why we start looking to educate people that real estate doesn't have to be the only thing you invest in, of course, right? But it should be a portion of your portfolio because you can hedge your downside risk, can give you some consistency in your portfolio as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think everything you, you were just saying is is really powerful because if, I mean, if you look at it, like the reason why most people get into real estate is, you know, to achieve financial freedom, get some passive income, to pursue other um, areas in their life that they have passions about. If they had the the money and the financial resources to pursue, they would. So, I mean, you talk about making like four and a half percent over 30 years, like that may not get you there. You know, that may get you to a, you know, semi-comfortable retirement. But if you really want to, to, I don't want to make it too big and like intangible, but if you really want to like achieve your dreams and like what you actually set out to do, I mean, four and a half percent is just probably not going to do it. And then you look at something like real estate, you know, is less less volatile and you can make much higher returns. Like your fund is, or your deals are making three times that. So it's just... What I love about numbers in general is that it's predictable. So if I retire at 55 and this is what I need in the bank, you can back those numbers out and you figure out exactly what return you need. You don't have to guess. I feel like we've done a terrible job in this country educating the youth on how to plan for retirement, right? You go to a financial planner and they just say, put 10% of your income into a mutual fund and don't look at it. And in 30 years, you'll be able to retire. Well, look, hope isn't a strategy. So I like to be able to calculate things. And that's what's great about numbers is you can actually say, I want to retire at 42 with this much money in the bank. This is how much I need to start with. This is how much I need to put away every year. And this is how fast it has to compound. And this is the rate of return I need. And you can figure that out. I think a lot of people, the thing that they miss is picking their number, right? Choose your number, figure out where you need to be and then back into it. And then you know exactly how to get there. You can create the own your own roadmap when the big lie of Wall Street is that you're not smart enough to manage your own money and they're going to do a good job for you too. And you get to hope that you get to retire when you want. Yeah, that's good. And I think another overlooked thing too is that in real estate, like in the stock market, like inflation over those 30 years is is cutting down your returns. But in real estate, your rents are going up over time. You're paying your mortgage down over time. Your your debt service, like your interest rates staying the same. So inflation dollars are actually paying less. So like real estate gets better over time, like more it's inflation adjusted. So I really like that Absolutely. aspect of it of it too long term. Yeah. So let's talk about where you are now, like with the, in, in multifamily, obviously this is the multifamily journey podcast. So want to get into that and with how you're syndicating. So what is, what is the syndication realm look like in, in the previous years and where, where are you at today with that? Yeah. So when we got into the space, we knew that we didn't know enough to go and start doing our own deals. I mean, I think we started where a lot of people do, which is underwriting deals and submitting LOIs and trying to find brokers that would talk to us. Nobody cares that you flipped a thousand houses. 
They want to know how many yeah. assets under management you have when they give you an off-market deal. And rightfully so, right? This is how these people feed their families. So they're not just going to float a deal by me and just see if I can execute. So after finding that out by making offers and talking to a lot of brokers and recognizing that our experience was going to be a big hurdle, we kind of pivoted. You know, We knew that we could raise some capital because we had done so from the fix and flip world. We had investors that knew, liked, and trusted us already that would deploy capital with us. And um, we found a very strong operator. And our first deal was a uh, $10.4 million ground up construction of uh, 1,193 unit self-storage complex outside of Orlando. Cube Smart managed, you know, huge project on 14 acres, over 130,000 rentable square feet. That's a big but deal for our first one. <laughs> it was a big deal. Um, but we found a strong operator and we said, hey, let's partner. We're going to bring the money. You do the day-to-day operations and we're going to partner on this and we're going to learn from the inside. Right, We're going to understand the financing piece of it. We're going to understand the reporting aspect of it, the third-party management of it. And we've done three deals with that partner now, um, over 300 thousand square feet of storage all in and around the Orlando area, $10 million aggregate profit in those deals. So fantastic experience, great operator. We learned a ton. And then we have since purchased a 66 unit and 84 unit and 120 unit in Columbus and uh, Dallas, Fort Worth area respectively. And then this quarter, we are just about to embark on a $42 million acquisition in Daytona Beach, Florida, 384 units of uh, of multifamily. I love it. So, so I've done a, a deal or two, like <laughs> a, a deal or two. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Yeah. And so, that's all been in the last 24 months. That, that's, that's good, man. And that's, I think that that's what can happen when you, you know, you build the, um, you know, that, that skill set and get comfortable and really jump in with the right partners, right? You didn't have to do everything yourself for that first deal, which, you know, got your feet wet and got the, got the ball rolling for you guys. You, found out where you could bring bring value, which was capital to this deal and got to learn everything and then allowed you to grow from there, which is, you know, coincidentally the exact same thing I'm doing right now on my first syndication. Um, so, I mean, it's great because with uh, experience, more experienced operators, they're doing the day-to-day and I'm bringing capital and get to learn all that. And then it's a, a really good looking asset. So all the investors are going to be Taking yeah, care it of, hedges so. the downside risk for the investor, right? I mean, even though yeah. I flipped a thousand houses, if I go out and buy an eighty-four unit complex, I mean, oh, yeah, you're gonna, gonna have a learning curve, do, right? Yeah. Am I gonna do right by the investor and their capital? So you know, so we were able to hedge the risk for the investor and for ourselves too, where we can make those partnerships take place. I mean, look, I think you can go fast alone or far together. Many hands make light work in this business. You can really partner with some people that'll make your job easier. Conversely, you can partner with some folks that'll make your job harder, you know, so choose wisely, <laughs> but it's, um, <laughs> yep. you know, there's, there's good opportunity out there to not have to cut your teeth and know all things. I think the biggest struggle for a lot of people that get involved in this business is they think they need to know everything before they jump in, right? It's insulate your, your weaknesses with your partnerships. Yeah, that that's good. I think anybody uh, that's looking to get in the space needs to rewind that and just listen to that. that that's really good. Um, moving moving on from that, uh, we were talking before. You guys are making a little pivot now to uh, you know you managed some deals, did did that day to day operation, and now getting back to the the sourcing sponsors rather than sourcing deals kind of thing, and then um, continuing to, to raise capital and bring in your investors. So why why that? I, I guess first of all, can you kind of explain that pivot a little bit more and why? So like, like I just explained, we did the, uh, the first couple of deals with a sponsor. We raised the capital and he was managing the day-to-day, giving us reporting. 
Um, and then getting into the owner operations side of things, right, which is where we've done a couple of deals, it has created a bottleneck in our business because you can't do everything, right? So you either need to do everything or you need to grow into being able to do everything or have a partner that's going to help you offset those, right? And I think, you know, know thyself, right? You need to figure out what it is that your business is supposed to be, what you're really good at, and what you want to do. I think if you can accomplish all of those things, then the business life is going to be really beneficial for you. You know, we've been in business for 11 years and we've we've done the stuff that we don't want to do and we've done the stuff that we do want to do. And, you know, you just have to be honest with yourself about what is it that I'm really trying to build here and to what end, right? What is the purpose? I, I think a lot of people get into this business because they want passive income. They want to build generational wealth. They want to spend more time with their families. They want to have financial freedom. Well, when you're an owner operator, um, you can grow into that over time, right? And, uh, you know, I think if you're the operator and you realize that, hey, I have this deal and I can operate it and I'm going to do a great job managing it. Oh, and now I have to go find the money and manage those investors. And like, that's a whole nother. There's a lot, a lot to the game. I think that people don't realize until they start doing it. Yeah. Get in deeper. So if you try to do all of it, you create a bottleneck. I mean, our business is only five internal employees. So, you know, what kind of business do we want to build and how sustainable is this and how many deals do we want to do and all of those things, right? I mean, so we've been in this business in this side of the business now for about two years and it quickly becomes apparent what we want to do and what we don't. And for these deals, they're heavy lift repositions. We're going to leave a couple million dollars on the table and sell them currently so that we can go back to the partners that are fully operational day to day. They have more deal flow than they have capital. And we can just manage those relationships, manage those reports, and then manage our investors and bring capital into those and for all intents and purposes, be uh, a private equity fund. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, some groups or people, partnerships, whatever, just have like natural skill sets. Like some groups are just really good at sourcing deals because they've been doing it, have all the relationships and have the track record of just doing really good deals. And then others have the track record of having great networks, being able to to pull in a lot of money and, and capitalize deals and knowing what you're good at or, you know, where your skill set lies. Or even if you haven't started, like, you know, if you have, if you've been talking about real estate and you have people that are really interested and you can go, you know, get some money from them pulled together their money and then you go start looking out looking for the partnerships that are doing deals that need money and then you get in you get your investors a return but just finding what you're good at finding where you can bring value and i love that you guys like found it by you know first by starting saying hey this is this is where we need to be because we don't know everything then you kind of did everything and then through that process through the action found out what you really liked and now you're, you know, adjusting and, and really evolving as you guys go. So it's not jumping in and saying, hey, we're going to go do what 334 units right now. It's, hey, we're going to start flipping some houses and we're pulling a bunch of money and partnering with a group. And then we're going to go do our own deals. And now we're, all right, we found what we're really good at and where our, our, uh, where our niche is and what we're just going to dominate at. That's, that's really good. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, you know, for, for the people that are, you know, maybe think that that's something they they could do, bring capital to a deal. How are you? How is your your team finding finding the deals or finding the spot the sponsors to partner with on deals? There is no better asset class for building wealth than real estate, and in most instances, people don't have the time or energy to invest in it on their own. So, how do you build wealth with real estate when you lack the time and energy? 
Leave that to the GrowthView properties. The GrowthView team finds, negotiates, and manages multifamily assets for private investors. Their mission is to help investors secure the ultimate asset, which is time, all the while impacting the greater good with their endowment fund that fuels the mission of charitable organizations. Find out more by going to thegrowthview.com. That's view with a V-U-E dot com. Put your money to work so you don't have to at thegrowthview.com. I mean, it's it's just networking. You know, you talk to enough people in the space that you let them know, hey, I'm I'm able to bring some funds or I'd like to bring some funds and add some value to you. And, you know, um, there's there's plenty of deals out there. There's plenty of people that need either money or deals. So and then you got to find the people that, you know, like and trust, you know, like who do you want to go out and have a drink with and hang out with because you're about to get into a five-year partnership with the, that person or those people. So, you know, find people you know, like, and trust, figure out where everybody's skill set is. What I've found in this space, especially, is that people are very giving. Everybody that I've met is really giving of their time. They're giving of their resources. They want to help people out. They, at one point, started out as well. And you know, it's uh, it's figuring out, hey, what do I want to do? And if you think you can raise some capital, great. If you don't know, right, then maybe you intern on a deal and say, hey, I'm just going to, I want to help you do some of the stuff that you don't want to do so I can learn from the inside and maybe take a little piece of the ownership, but, you know, just yeah. learn, right, and actually do the deals. Um, yeah, that's a, that's another really good way. That's how uh, a friend of mine got started. He did uh, underwriting for Michael Blanc and his team and that mastermind, the Dealmakers Mastermind. And that's right. how he provided value and learned learned a ton and then opened up the door for future opportunities. It was literally just sitting in like a dark closet yeah. <laughs> with probably a, probably a Darth Vader helmet on just typing away, like analyzing deals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so that's good. Yeah, man. Just, you know, whatever you can do, like build your network, talk to people, like bring value and um, intern. I mean, just give, give your time away for free to get the knowledge to, to build. And that's, I mean, that's kind of how I got started, just knocking on doors and, and uh, picking up the phone and calling, doing wholesaling like you started out, and then just learning and grew from there by talking to the right people. So super powerful stuff there. So when you guys are raising money, that's, that's where you guys specialize in now. And that's the pivot for 2021 going forward, it sounds like. So what structure are you guys using to raise private money? Is it like 506B funds, 506C funds? Or are you guys doing something different? Yeah, we've done uh, 506Bs historically. We're going to do a C on this uh, next upcoming deal that we're doing this quarter. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're approaching uh, some funds to understand how they structure a little bit better and to see if that might be a good fit. But I guess for the listeners, now, can, you, can, you, can you give like the difference of those, like the Reg B, 506C and 506B, and then like how a fund differs from those? Yeah. So the SEC has exemptions to where you don't need to file something with them. And that's a regulation D is the exemption. A 506B is the type of exemption or the 506C is another type of exemption. The B is what they call a friends and family raise. Basically, you need to have a substantive relationship with that person to present them with a deal, right? So you and I just met today. I would not be able to show you a 506B offering. Oh, come on, man. Come on. Sh- show me it. <laughs> and we have plenty of those people that are like, no, no, please. I have money. I want yeah. you to take it. Yeah, yeah. But for the SEC rules, I mean, you can't. You got to build a relationship with them. Like, I don't know. There's a, what was it? That letter somebody wrote to the 
to the SEC. It's like, and they responded, the SEC responded. It's like, you got to have the substance, substantive relationship, like know their accreditation. I mean, it's kind of like a three-step process, like set up a phone call. Um, and if you see you like- build on a most, relationship with those people, yeah. you know, I mean, and the reason that the SEC does this, right? I think people look at the SEC as like the big bad wolf. Um, the reason that they do this is so you just don't take advantage of anybody in terms of an investment idea. You don't know who these people are. Are they sophisticated enough? to understand the risks of this type of investment. Um, you know, now also I believe that the SEC meddles a little bit on who can and who can't make that decision for themselves, but they're really there to protect the consumer. So, you know, I don't yep. go to a retirement community and say, hey, look, I can present you with X returns. Just give me all your retirement funds, right? They've yeah. never done Basically, the SEC wants to protect protect people from getting into offerings that they don't know enough about. That's why they have the accredited, non-accredited break. And then in 506C, it's the accredited investors. They have more capital. If they, they can get, basically, they can get into a riskier investment, lose some money and it not like sink them, you know, to where they're on, on welfare for the rest of their life because they have enough capital. Exactly. So the 506B is the friends and family. The 506C, you can publicly advertise for the investment. But you can only take accredited investors, meaning they have to have a million dollars of net worth outside of their primary residence or make $200,000 single or $300,000 joint for the last two years with the reasonable expectation that they're going to have to do that again this year. So that would be an accredited investor. Um, most of our investors that have gotten into even our 506B raises are accredited, right? A lot of people think they are or don't know that they are until they start looking at their finances and then they the go, oh, yeah, yeah. look, I am, I am accredited. So uh, the next one will be a 506 uh, C and then, you know, to your point, you know, what's the difference between those two exemptions um, and some of the other ones, the reg, there's also a reg a that has a different type of exemption where you can publicly advertise and still take like smaller amounts of money from non-accredited investors. Uh, that's a different type of exemption, but all of these things, you know, this is why you need a good SEC attorney on your team. Yeah, that's what I was going to get towards, these. like talk to an attorney to find out what, what would be the best option for you. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then I, we have some partners that started Fund of Funds, which is basically a, a real estate fund that can direct the fund into uh, different real estate offerings from different operators. So we have a couple yeah. of partners that do that. That's good. So... I mean, for, for those listening, like what, what is a, what's a fund, you know, I mean that, I think that's a, that's a broad term and then people hear it and might think like mutual fund, whatever, but like in our real estate realm, what does that mean for investors? Yeah. So, I mean, there's different ways to, you know, you can structure a deal so that you can directly invest into a deal, right? The private placement memorandum will go directly into a deal. Or you could create a fund, which is basic. I mean, it's what you're thinking about when you think of a fund. You're going to create a bank account and an offering memorandum and say, hey, to invest in my fund, these are the types of deals that we're going to do. These are the type of requirements that we're going to have when we're underwriting deals. And if that sounds good to you, you can invest in my fund. And then me as the fund manager, I can make those decisions on behalf of the investor based on our offering memorandums. So I can say, hey, Blake, this, 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 um, syndication that you're doing, it fits our criteria for what we want to invest in. And we can write you a million dollar check out of a $10 million fund, let's say. So, you know, the fund is exactly what you think about. It's just a fund manager has to manage all of those things. And then the investors know what they're getting into more generally than specifically, right? They know. Yeah. Generally yeah it's kind of the difference of like 
going after like a specific property with those with those other exemptions rather than having the the fund where you can get multiple properties diversified across the properties which I mean, it's it's neither better or worse. It's just kind of a different way. Maybe the diversification among properties makes it um, a little bit better. And I know a lot of the the big players are using funds. So just, I mean, another another tool to have in your tool belt if you're thinking about doing this, or you know, if you're talking to a a sponsor and they're raising money in one of these different buckets, it's good for you to you know know what's out there and the differences between these things. So, yeah, and if you're if, looking for a partnership too, I mean, the SEC is kind of hammering down on people right now where you want to be really careful that you're not trading equity for capital. It's um, The SEC does not allow for you to just raise capital into somebody's deal and get equity for it. So you want to make sure that if you're doing that, you can do it through a fund of fund structure and that makes it legal. Otherwise, you have to be really a partner in the deal. You can't just be trading equity, right? You have to be doing other substantive yep. things within that deal to make sure that your equity position is carved yep. out as a general partner. Let me see if I got this right. I think we talked about this on on the show with Ashton uh, a couple of shows ago. But the fund of funds is when you, as a you know, as the fund manager, start a fund, and then that fund goes into a deal as a limited partner. And whatever that fund makes, you as the fund manager get a percentage of that. So if the total fund makes seventeen, okay, let's right. look so at the, the differences. I, then. I only want to cut you off so that it doesn't confuse the matter, right? Because you can structure a fund however you want, as long as the investor agrees to it. So how Wall Street does it is different than how Ashton does it. It's different than how uh, another one of my buddies does it. It's you know so however you. Function as the fund manager, you can take fees. You can arbitrage the difference of what you're paying the LPs versus what the deal is making. There's there's a ton of different ways to skin that cat. There is no one set way to create the fund, right? Yeah. So it's Which makes funds good because they're they're flexible, right? There's there's so many different ways you can make the best way. So yeah, that's good. I think Ashton's exactly. actually like not arbitraging, but going in as the GP rather than taking out of the fund. Correct. Yep, his is simply a pass through entity to the LPs. And then they make their money by being the fund manager by partnering with us. No, yeah, that, that's that's good. You know, again, another tool to add to the the tool belt. So for you guys, like, how are you how are you structuring your different deals with with the different partners, and how's all that look? Um, well, basically, we partner with our sponsors on the general partnership side, and we bring in LP equity, right? So a little bit different than having a fund of funds. We are directly involved in the day-to-day operations with our partners too. We're, we're managing the asset management piece of it. We are creating marketing. We're doing due diligence. So we're really involved on a partnership level with all of our sponsors that we work with. So simply put, as our limited partners, they fund uh, a portion of those deals. And then the way that we structure our deals is a little bit different. Uh, we do straight preferred returns. So instead of you know, let's say a preferred return and then an equity kicker, which would mean like you get a percentage of the upside past the cash flow. We we basically try to keep consistency at the forefront and lack of volatility at the forefront of our investments for the LP investors. So the money that we put in is at the most risk. The preferred return investors, they get a preferred return, which means they take their money out first before the general partnerships get paid. Right. And historically, we've done a 6% preferred return through cash flow with another 6% accruing until the exit. Every investment's different. Um, you know, and they can talk to us directly about kind of how those deals structure, but historically, that's kind of what it looks like. 
Yeah. And I, I like this. This is what we we're talking about before we started the show. And I think this is good because it comes back to like investor education and setting the expectations. And, um, you know, so a lot of deals you see, you know, advertised in like the mid teens or, or even higher if it's a really aggressive value add deal. Um, but, you know, what happens to those deals when there's a downturn and these, you know, syndicators have advertised, you know, up here where it's like 18, 20%, whatever, and then they can't hit those returns so that investors that are used to 18 or 20 are now getting, you know, 15, 12, whatever it looks like. like it's scary I'm, for me. I'm losing because, money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and we talked about this internally about this is why we're going to structure our deals this way is because, you know, the name of our company is Integrity Holdings Group, right? Based on Proverbs 910, which states that the man with integrity will walk securely. The man who does not will be found out. And it's just to hold ourselves accountable to that structure. If I'm promising 18, I want to make sure that we're giving away 18. If we're promising 12, I want to make sure that we're giving away 12. You know, I think that for the accountability for ourselves internally, I don't want to just shoot the moon. And then if we fall on our face, go back and say, whoops, right? So by structuring our deals this way, you know, it, it creates the consistency that we were hoping for, the volatility uh, hedge that we were hoping for, and also the accountability that we, uh, that we hold ourselves to. Yeah. I love, I love that. How it's the, how that verse is tied into the company name is tied into the actions It's tied into, you know, how you guys go about everything kind of a, aligning it all there. So that's really good. So can you, can you talk about like how you educate investors to, to say that, Hey, there, this is low volatility. This is, you know, your pre preferred return, how you go about raising money. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough because we can't just stop everybody on the street and say, Hey, have you heard of real estate? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the first thing is, is trying to get in front of the right people. Who is looking for real estate investment? Why are they looking for that? And then spending time with them. You know, I mean, we we have to get to know every single one of our investors, whether it's a 506B or C, by the way, I don't care. For anybody to give you a check for 100, 200, a million dollars, they need to know, like, and trust you. They need to understand who the business is, who are the partners, how did you guys get here, and what makes them comfortable with the operator. So how we educate is a couple different ways. I mean, we have the podcast where we're talking you know, about what's going on to, um, to our audience, whether that's about deals that we just did, whether that's how, you know, we blew it and we learned, whether that is how we invested our children into some of these deals. I mean, all of that stuff, we, we talk about it all, right? We're very much uh, an open book on the podcast. Yeah. And then on our website, we have um, a couple of things that you can do. You can sign up for our investor club Right, which gives you access to our newsletter where we're giving you a lot of news articles and kind of historical facts and things like that, and kind of telling you what's going on in the business. And then we do a passive real estate investment uh, course. You know, we do a training course that you can sign up for for free. It kind of just kind of walks you through the steps of what do I need to do? What should I be looking for when I'm getting involved in an investment? Um, so all those different ways, really. And then once people sign up and they get involved and they have to schedule a 30 minute call with me to have that conversation about what their investing goals are. Can we help them achieve those investing goals? Are, is this a good fit for them or not? You know, what's their level of sophistication or accreditation? You know, so um, education is the crux. I mean, we want to teach everything that we've learned to people that are coming this way with us, right? I mean, how did we learn it? Why did we learn it? What did we read? I just sent out three books to one of our investors yesterday because she called me and had a bunch of tax questions. And I said, oh, these three books are fantastic for you. And she was like, oh, you're, you've already sent them? Yeah, read through them and then you know, go talk to your CPA about what you just learned. You know, it's, it's just 
educating yourself. I mean, you you have to be in charge of your finances, right? You're going to take control of your financial future. You can't lay yeah. that on anybody else. So yeah. it's those so much it's more those powerful people than seeking knowledge. <laughs> yeah, so much more powerful than letting us sit in a mutual fund for the next thirty years. It's really good. If you, and uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about that. And, uh, and what you're just saying too, like kind of on that, on that topic, like, um, Blackstone, like the biggest, you know, real estate, I don't even conglomerate really raised what $8.7 billion last year. And yeah. it's just cause of the best known and their total return was like 5%, five, what was it? 5.3. I mean, you, you said the number before we got started on here. Um, but to raise that amount of money and produce that kind of return in the in this space where we're you know told that you can beat the market, be more secure, and all that. I mean, they're like they're like returning at the market level. They're not even really beating it. Um, I mean, what what does that mean for you and your ability to to go find investors and and actually allow them to get returns that can produce financial freedom and can can produce real results? Yeah, I mean, you know, Blackstone's aggregate returns are. Um, very solid. You know, I understand why people invest with them. And why we even named the podcast Free from Wall Street is that I think most of us have an idea of how Wall Street makes their money, right? They take your money, pay you a solid return, um, or what you've been pitched on as a solid return. And then they take the rest. You know, and what we get to do is cut out the middleman when people directly invest with us. It's a harder conversation. It's a longer conversation. It's more education. It's more relationship. Yeah, that's, okay. that's what people have known forever is like, put your money into Wall Street. So like to, to teach unconventional wisdom is, you know, is the battle, is the uphill battle. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I wish we could just uh, get more money off of Wall Street. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I think it, it's happening. You know, I think that, you know, the CARES yeah, Act allowed for a lot of $100,000 withdrawals penalty free. And we had a ton of investors pull out of their 401k and, you know, invest with us through the CARES Act. And I think people are, you know, understanding that we're coming to the top of the market and you're probably going to see some volatility in the stock market. Every time there's a changing of a presidential guard, then you'll see that. Also, it's been a bull market for a couple of years. So yeah, what goes up must come down. Yep. Yeah. You know, so I think, I think people are starting to recognize that, that, you know, they need to hedge against some volatility. Um, you know, and the more conversations that, that, that we have with them and the more that they listen to shows like this, the more that they recognize that that's an option. I, I find that that's the biggest hurdle actually is not that people don't want to invest in Wall Street. It's that they don't know anything better. They don't, they haven't been exposed to these types of deals or these types of operators or these types of opportunities because they think that that's the only way that they can go ahead and do it. You know, and there, nothing makes me happier than when I see somebody that is invested with us and, you know, they're just grinning ear to ear. I get pictures of, you know, our investors getting their checks and they're like, you know, I got my check this month. Meanwhile, the economy is doing yeah. pretty pretty poorly, right? They got their monthly checks though. And um, but they didn't know it before we started talking. You know, when people ask me yeah. well, what I do and I tell them that we pair passive investors with high return real estate assets, they don't understand what that means initially. You know, not everybody does. And then they start yeah. to learn that that's an opportunity. Yeah. Hopefully that's, that's the first that, that's good and opens up the, you know, opens up that door for the conversation. Like, hey, hey, here's what I actually do and how's this, here's how it could, you know, benefit you or someone you know or, you know. Whatever, you know, how, however many ways that conversation can go. That's good stuff. Fortune five. Cool, man. Well, or for you, for the rest of 2021, what, what do you think is in store for you guys to keep growing? So, you know, we're, we're very much focused on the education aspect of the business. You know, we're creating a lot of content to 
get out to you know larger and wider audiences um you know we, we have the deal flow you know like i said we're going to be raising uh, about 15 million bucks here in the first quarter you know so that's kind of where we'd like to land at the end of the year we'd like to raise and deploy somewhere between 50 and 70 million bucks and it's a big number but we have uh, good deals for those for those numbers and i think some people might hear those numbers and get intimidated like oh i'm probably too small of an investor you're not you know, we just still have to have the conversation and figure out exactly what deal fits for what person and what their tolerance level yeah. is, right? We have yeah. my my daughter is our smallest investor. She's seven and she's got thirteen and a half thousand dollars with us. She's the smallest <laughs> I love it. Are you paying her out like out of the business with like the twelve thousand dollars or whatever that you can deduct no, from she's taxes? A, she's a limited partner in the deal. She gets monthly checks like everybody else. Nice. And is that going yeah, into like a Roth IRA that's building over time. Here's her last one. Two- <laughs> I love it. He just held up a check. <laughs> it's for $201 for her $13,000 investment. By the time she's 10 years old, her 13 grand will be 20 grand. And then she'll just continue to roll that um, to more like investments. That. And if you go to our YouTube channel, we have a uh, video called Millionaire Kids. And we yeah. actually do the compound interest calculation with her and figure out what day she'll become a millionaire. I love it. I, I really like the strategies like that because me and my wife are like beginning to talk about when we're going to have kids in the in the coming years. Uh, I think she wants them like by yesterday. Um, but it's uh, think about this or like how uh, like who was it? Brandon Turner like bought a fourplex or whatever it was for his daughter and let, let that grow over time when she was born or like when maybe when his wife was still pregnant. Um, but but yeah, like setting your kids up on that path, and then as they're growing up, you get to have the conversation with them, and it just and so many so many good opportunities there, and they they're making money the whole time. So that's really cool. I like that. Yeah, they're learning how to be good stewards of money, right? I mean, yeah. it's uh, I think we do a disservice to our kids that all of a sudden we release them to college and let them go when they're eighteen, figure figure things out. You know, my daughter understands that she has an investment, and ten uh, percent goes to a tithe. And 50% of the remainder goes to savings and the other 50% she can spend or save if she'd like. Right. So heck yeah. Start turning kids into passive really investors. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, I think if you're if your seven year old daughter can be a passive investor, so can all the people listening to this podcast. That's awesome. <laughs> Look, if my seven year old has a better real estate portfolio than you do. Yeah, <laughs> you should get on the horse, right? Yeah, no kidding. Give give one of us a call and see <laughs> see what the heck you can do. That's that's crazy. You got a seven year old out earning you in, in the multifamily game. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right, awesome, man. Well, let's uh, transition to the last section of the show here. This is the the Fortune Five, the five questions I ask uh, every guest at the end of the show okay. here. So, yep. kicking it off, what's the biggest thing that has contributed to your success? Mentorship, for sure. It's other people. Um, you know, we all have desire to win, I think. And, you know, until you put that desire into action, it's worthless. So it's really about, uh, getting around the right people and those people have helped change our lives. So good, man. I think at one point I'm going to like, um, compile all the data from these questions and and make like another post or a video about it or whatever. But I I've heard that one a few times. It's like getting around the right people, uh, mentorship, finding, finding a person to kind of guide you as you get started. And, you know, if that's a common, common attribute to successful people, and if that's like their biggest successful thing, like if you're listening to this right now, I mean, it just emphasizes go get around the right people. So that's a really good answer. I like that. Um, next question here, what's been your biggest mistake so far that's turned into a learning lesson? I would say, you know, we're, uh, we're very trusting people. So 
the biggest mistake earlier on in our career was to trust but not verify. Mm-hmm. Right? So now we say it all the time, trust but verify. Right? When people tell you numbers, great, show me them. Right? People talk to you about returns, great. How many exits have you had that show those types of returns? People tell you that they can manage something to a certain budget and a certain timeline, great. When was the last time you did that and who was the operator you did it for so I can talk to them? Um, you know, so without getting into all the hairy details, it's trusting and not verifying. That's good. Yeah. I love the transparency of this question. And I've been burned by that too. Just like putting my trust in somebody without saying, all right, look, like show me the, show me what's behind that. So that's good. Well, uh, what's been your biggest, uh, or sorry, sorry. What's your favorite book you'd recommend to someone starting out? Well, it's kind of a big question. Um, favorite book to somebody starting out in real estate, I would say read Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright to understand you know, the tax implications <clears throat> that you get when you start investing in multifamily. Because making money is great, keeping it better, and tax-free wealth is uh, a, a great resource. Um, starting out in life, spiritual journey, things like that, I would say read the Bible. There's more long-term you know, eternal truths written in there for both business and relationship than you can find in probably any other book. Um, ton of wisdom there. So yeah, I like that too. Your answer is actually got a wealth or was it wealth free real estate or tax? I don't, whatever tax that book is, wealth. but tax free yeah. wealth. I got it mixed around. Yeah. That's actually on my list. <laughs> wealth free real book. estate. That's, that's not what I want. I want very well. No, no. <laughs> <It's the opposite. laughs> yeah. So man, Steve, last question here, where can people find out more about you and connect with you? Yeah, you can just go to our website. Uh, the name of the company is Integrity Holdings Group. So the name of the website is Integrity HG. You can sign up for our courses there. You can find out more about our deals there. You can also check us out um, when we talk about invest with purpose. That's kind of our tagline. And in every single deal that we do, we give a portion of the equity ownership to uh, a nonprofit, 501c3, so that we create passive income for those nonprofits too. So we're digging wells in West Africa. We're saving girls from sex trafficking in the Middle East. We're um, building handicapped accessible parks here in New Jersey. So uh, if you want to learn more That's about awesome, how we can make an impact in those investments too, uh, you can find the Investment with Purpose tab on the Integrity HG website and kind of talk to you a little bit about how us and our investors are collectively making an impact through creating some wealth. All right, man, that's that's awesome. That, that that's super good, man. Thanks, uh, thanks again for coming on the show here today. Really good information, I think for for anybody starting out. There's a lot of a lot of good information here. And Steve, this is good, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. All right, we're out of here. Thanks for listening to the Free from Wall Street podcast. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating and review, and let us know what you think. 